0: There was a dangerous and confusing teaching spreading through the churches in galatia some leaders in the church were teaching that a person is justified before god by both faith and works of the law both faith and works that a person becomes acceptable to god only If they place their faith in Christ and follow strict obedience to God's moral law. This false teaching is still incredibly common today. I would go as far as to say it is the most common perversion of Christianity in the world. It is a conflation of grace and works. It mixes the two together to form a convoluted version of our faith. And it actually makes no sense. It makes no sense. How could works be added to grace? As soon as works are added to grace, grace ceases to exist. There's no such thing as grace and works. There can't be. Because if you mix the two, all you have left is works and no grace. This teaching only leads to confusion and despair. I've seen it my whole life. It led me into confusion and despair and eventually to atheism. Because, again, it made no sense to me. But the Apostle Paul is going to help clear up the confusion for us tonight. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, this is also on ljc.life if you want to go there. uh, And it will be on the screen. Galatians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 23 through 29. 23 through 29. Verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ hath clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful word tonight, and we pray your spirit would move in each of us so that he might remove any confusion that might be in our minds and our hearts. Father, help us to be crystal clear on your gospel. Help us to be crystal clear on Jesus, who he is, and what he has done for us. And Father, it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so the Apostle Paul shows us three things in this text, three things. He shows us the cage we're in, what sets us free, and what freedom means. The cage we're in, what sets us free, and what freedom means. Number one, the cage we're in. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, man has been in a prison. What prison? Verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Mankind was held in custody under the law. Very simply, God's moral code or God's moral law shuts man up under sin. It imprisons and holds man in bondage. How so? In four ways. Number one, the law shows us our inadequacy. It requires a standard we cannot meet. It requires perfection. Absolute perfection. Why? Because God is perfect. Therefore, man must be perfect if he wants to live with God. So the law shows us our inadequacy. Number two, the law shows us our inadequacy, and it shows it to us with great clarity. Great clarity. There's simply no question about it. It's right there in black and white. The law says to do A, but we do Z instead. Right? (laughs) The failure is clearly spelled out. Just as clearly as a speed limit sign spells out the violation of the speeder. It's in black and white. The only way around it is to do what many, many, many churches do today, and that is dumb down God's law. To literally change it. So, for example, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Well, that's too hard. (laughs) How many of you here do that? Right, so we change it. We dumb it down to just say, love God. Just two words. And that seems a little bit more palatable for us. Oh, I can do that. I can just love God. The problem is, that's not the command. The command is to love God god perfectly with everything you have without ever wavering for one second perfect love is the command but we like to change it and spell it l-u-v just love god that's all you have to do simple isn't it but the actual law is not at all that simple It shows us our inadequacy and it shows it with great clarity. And number three, the law accuses and condemns us. So it not only accuses us, but then it also condemns us. As soon as a person violates the law, the law charges them. The law therefore preys upon the mind and cuts the heart. Guilt and condemnation reign. And number four... The law puts us in captivity and has no power of its own to deliver us. This is Paul's main point. The law reveals the violation and then puts us in prison. The law does not and cannot deliver us. It can only condemn us. And from this cage, there is no escape. There is no escape. Bondage to the law is endless. It's endless. The law will continue to hold us captive forever and ever and ever. So, is there any hope for us? That brings us to the second point what sets us free? Our only hope is for someone to appear on the scene with the power to free us. And 2,000 years ago, in a lowly manger in Bethlehem, that someone appeared. Verses 23 through 24. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Jesus Christ came to set us free. Now, what does Paul mean that the law was our guardian? Our guardian. Well, the Greek word for guardian here means schoolmaster. He's saying the law was our schoolmaster. What in the world does Paul mean? Well, a schoolmaster uh, in these days was usually a trusted slave who was in charge of a child's moral upbringing. But a schoolmaster also had one special duty that Paul is referencing here. And that one special duty is this. Every day, the schoolmaster would take the child to school and deliver him to the teacher. And then at the end of the day, the schoolmaster would return for the child and bring him safely back home. This is what God's law was meant to do. The law leads us to our teacher, Jesus Christ. And the law does that by showing us that we are utterly unable to live by the law. We must therefore look to Christ to escape its bondage. So, how does Christ free us from the cage? By taking our place in the cage. You see, on the cross, the Father removed the shackles of sin and shame from our hands and feet and placed them on his Son. And then Jesus was treated by God as if he was the lawbreaker so that you and I could be treated as if we were the faithful, obedient son. Jesus was imprisoned so we could go free. Now, how do we receive this freedom? Verses 24 and 25. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. True Christianity teaches. True Christianity teaches that a person is freed from the law and justified before God. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If anyone teaches you any different, they are teaching you a different religion. They may not realize it, but they're teaching you a different religion. True Christianity says that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone in christ alone apart from our works completely and this brings us to point number three what freedom means what freedom means now for a long time i thought that freedom in christ meant what he frees me from what he frees me from He frees me from the schoolmaster, right? From the law's power over me. The cage that shut me up has been broken down by the gospel, by the death and resurrection of Christ. And now I'm free. And that is true. By faith in Christ, I am free. But free to what? Free to what? It's crucial to see not only what Christ frees us from, but what Christ frees us to. And Let's look at that together. Paul shows us here four things Christ frees us to. Number one, Christ frees us to become children of God. Verse 26. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So, we're not just freed from prison to go out into the world loosey goosey with no clue what to do or who to be as orphans. No, we are freed to become part of God's family, His very children. But how and why? How and why? When I was a kid, my older cousin was dating a boy that had a pretty difficult life. From what I could tell, though, he treated my cousin with a great amount of respect and gentleness. He cared deeply for her. He did. And amazingly, one day I learned that my aunt and uncle took the teenage boy into their home to live with them. Now, even as a young kid, this made a big impression on me. And i didn't really get it i mean i thought it was super neat but i didn't really understand why would they take this boy in i mean that's a big commitment and here's what i've arrived at i think they took him in not only because they were kind people and that the boy was in a tough spot but it was also his treatment of their daughter He loved her. Now, there is no way for us to comprehend the Heavenly Father's love for His Son. There's no way to comprehend it. It's infinite. It's infinite. The Father has been loving His Son from eternity past. And when the Heavenly Father sees anyone place their affection and trust in his son. He is so delighted that he just goes ahead and brings him into the family. He just brings them in. Oh, you love my son? Okay. I'll tell you what, why don't you just come on in? Why don't you just come on in the house? You're one of us now. You're one of us now. Do you see what's happening here? The Father so delights in Jesus that anyone who loves Jesus is also loved by the Father. Anyone who accepts Jesus is also accepted by the Father. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is welcomed into the kingdom with open arms. But, the person who trusts in the law and their ability to obey and their strict discipline in the rules is a person who is not trusting in Christ they're not looking to Christ for righteousness they're looking to themselves and the father does not like that the father wants all attention all focus, all glory, all honor and all praise to go to his son And rightly so. Rightly so. Do you see why it's only by faith that a person can be justified before God? Do you see that? Why works don't work? Because it's only by faith that Christ gets the glory. Your works bring you glory. But faith in Jesus' work brings Jesus' glory. And that's what the Father is after. And that is why Paul says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. Because without faith, you are robbing Christ of the glory he deserves. Now, this is wonderful news. It's wonderful news when you think about it. Christ has freed us from the oppressive task of trying to earn the acceptance of God by our own works. And he has instead given us the gift of acceptance into God's family to become his children by faith alone. It has nothing to do with your church attendance. It has nothing to do with how much you put in the offering plate. It has nothing to do with, with how many great notes you take at our Bible study. It has nothing to do with any of that. It is only by faith. What an amazing gift. Okay, so Christ frees us to become children of God. Number two, Christ frees us to put on his righteousness. Verse 27, to put on his righteousness. Paul says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is a truth so incredible, it's hard to explain it. The emphasis in good churches, I'll I'll say good churches, the emphasis in good churches is usually on the fact that Christ died for us in our place for our sins. And hallelujah, what a truth. Incredible. But what Paul is saying here is that that's only part of the story. That's only part of it. Paul is saying here that Jesus didn't just die for you. He lived for you too. He lived for you too. In his life on earth, Christ was the very embodiment of righteousness. He lived the perfect life. The perfect life. He was absolutely sinless. He always obeyed God, never violating the law or the will of God, not even once, not even for one second not even for one millisecond. He was the pattern of what every man should be. And unbelievably, when sinful people like you and like me place our faith in him, we are clothed in his righteousness. We're clothed in his righteousness don't you see we're not just counted as righteous in god's eyes we're counted as righteous as christ as righteous as christ the father sees us in the same way he sees his son This is so amazing that early translators of the English Bible had a hard time translating this verse. They didn't know what to do with it. (laughs) They thought, surely this isn't saying what it is saying. Surely we don't literally have the righteousness of Jesus. Surely not. One translator is quoted as saying that rather than translating this as you who have clothed yourselves with Christ. He said he wanted to translate it, you who have bowed down and kissed his feet. But incredibly, he eventually concluded, it is saying what it is saying. Charles Spurgeon used his hand to demonstrate this truth. He said, for illustration's purposes, my thumb represents me and all of who I am and all of my sin, all of my wickedness, all of my rebellion against my creator. And he says, my other fingers represent the righteousness of Christ. And he said, sinful, wicked me the very moment I placed my faith in Christ he wrapped my entire being in his righteousness so that I could not even be seen anymore do you understand how glorious this is No part of my sinful, wicked self can even be seen anymore. <laughs> when the Father looks at me, He only sees the righteousness of His Son. That's it. <laughs> it's just not incredible. He only sees. The righteousness of Jesus. My sin is completely hidden in Christ. Wow. Wow. Number three, Christ frees us to be reconciled to one another. Yes, he frees us to be reconciled to the Father, obviously, but he also frees us to be reconciled to one another. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Agnostic historian Tom Holland says that this statement from Paul is one of the most revolutionary sentences ever penned by a man. It was totally unique in human history. Totally unique. Up until this point, you see, the entire world, and especially Rome, grouped everyone off into haves and have-nots. Everyone has grown that way. Certain races were looked at favorably while other races were seen as subhuman. Men were given special rights while women were seen as only the property of men. The rich were thought to have value while the poor were seen as expendable. Race, class, and gender... These three human distinctions have bedeviled us since the very beginning. Bedeviled us. The strife and suffering caused by differences in race, class, and gender is incalculable. It's incalculable. And then here comes Paul, saying that somehow, the death of a backwoods Jewish rabbi has made us all equals. That every human has inestimable dignity, value, and worth in Christ. Jews are no better than Gentiles. Whites are no better than blacks. Men are no better than women. Adults are no better than children. The rich are no better than the poor. Jesus died for every one of them. For every tribe and tongue. For people from all classes. For men and women. For rich and poor. We are all one. At the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ alone is the answer to all prejudice, bitterness, hatred oppression, and inequality. Because of Jesus, don't you see? When we encounter anyone who differs from us in any way, we can see them as someone Jesus loves and cherishes. And his love for them is undeniable. It's undeniable. He proved it with his suffering on their behalf. How merciful it is of Christ to make the only condition to enter his kingdom, not the color of one's skin or the size of one's bank account, but rather that one simply has faith in him. What a gift. Lastly, Christ frees us to inherit the promise. Verse 29. Paul says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul's point is this. Jesus Christ is the heir of Abraham. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, then he inherits the promise made to Abraham. And what a promise it is. For the person who is in Christ, he inherits the promise of God's Presence of God's acceptance and God's righteousness and of living forever in a spectacular existence in the new heavens and the new earth as a child of the king. <laughs> this doesn't even seem real, does it? Incredibly, think about this. Incredibly, the glory of Jesus' entire kingdom is directed at those who have faith in him. Wow. The glory of the entire kingdom is directed at you forever if you have placed your faith in him. thought maybe the best way to close this sermon would be with this famous hymn that says for freedom Christ has set us free what joy is ours to claim no more enslaved humanity finds life in Jesus name we try Lord to be justified Through all the works we do, yet you adopt us, saying, child, it's Christ who makes you new. We're clothed in Christ, and we belong. Now no one waits outside. In him we find our common song, old ways no more divide. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He died for us, new life to give, and new identity. Let's pray together. Father, what shall we say about your Son? What can we say? He has freed us to become your children. He has freed us to put on his righteousness. He has freed us to be reconciled to you and to one another. And he has freed us to inherit the incredible promise that you made to Abraham. Father, what can we say about Jesus? It doesn't seem like even all the words in all the languages could possibly do Him justice. The only thing we know to do, Father, is with our faces in the dirt say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. What an unbelievable gift he is to rotten, wicked sinners like us. What a gift he is. Please, Father, let us see. Let us see your son clearer tonight and tomorrow and the day after and the day after. We want to see Him, because we know all glory, all freedom, all beauty, all peace, all forgiveness, is found in Him. And Father, please let us rest. Let us rest in His love and His grace us from all nervousness and anxiety and depression. Father, your son is life, and he's the only life that we have. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus.